I'm on the track. You know how we do it, man. Oh, boy, CHP, see the phenol. Hey, you. Games in the Olympics have started today as well. 
Um, got some boxing tonight. Andre Ward returns to the ring. Um, got some previews, some reviews, and just just an all out. Just a great day of sports and a great week of sports coming up. Um, but first off, we're gonna jump off into this daily devotional. Um, this one's a pretty good one. This one's from um, Hebrews four thirteen through sixteen. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may have received mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Have you ever wondered what heaven is like? If you could create heaven according to your own specifications, what would you include? At first, the question seems easy. A few few ideas spring to mind right away. But after several minutes of serious thought, it becomes apparent that we could never think up things that would give eternal satisfaction. What we might imagine as a source of endless joy would fall far, far short. The sad truth is that people spend a great deal of time pursuing something or somebody, only to come to the conclusion that their goal was not what they really wanted. The problem is this. Left to ourselves, we don't know what it is we really want. That is one reason we have a great high priest presiding over the throne of grace. The word of God tells us there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, Jesus Christ sees, sees what it is we really want and need. Even when we ourselves do not recognize what we might, what that might be. He knows how to find our hurt and soothe the pain. And what's even better, he lovingly encourages us to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may have received mercy and find grace in a time of need. Be assured that your high priest knows the true desires of your heart. He is fitting you for the heaven he has already prepared. He is fitting you for the heaven he has already prepared. See, God already has things predestined for you. When some of us leave this earth at at a young age, we often wonder why God takes the good ones. God takes the good ones because he sees something great. You know, the old adage, the the good die young. That may be true. But the good die young to do great things within the kingdom of God. So if we look at it from that standpoint, what is it that we're really mourning? Why are we mourning? This should be a celebration. Because now you got a full-time job. 
You'll never be out of work. Especially when you're doing the Lord's work. It's a little food for thought for you. But we're going to take a quick station break. We'll be right back. We're going to jump into some boxing before we jump into the previews. Y'all stay tuned. Well, you know. 
know I won't stop. I won't stop. Won't stop. I won't stop. They won't stop. Me Check it out. This is the Tailgate Crew. Thanks for being a part of the thanks for being a part of of the show. You know, we are in the press box right now and you know, it's it's very exciting time for me because one of my favorite boxers uh I won't say of all time, but one of my favorite boxers uh, of this generation, um is back in the ring and he's fighting for the third time this year. Uh, second time at, in his home arena at, at Oracle, uh, home of the home of the Warriors. Um, we're talking about Andre Ward, and he's got a challenge tonight. He uh, he faces twenty five and one uh, Alexander Brand, who is a knockout puncher, boxer puncher uh, from here in the states, and he he's actually a really good fighter. Um, this is a twelve round eliminator. Um, it's an IBF eliminator, if I'm not mistaken. Um, this also sets up a fight with him and Sergey Kovalev um, in November. So, really, really, really excited to see what's going to happen tonight um, on this card. Um, Andre Ward, he, 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 he's got a legit challenge in front of him right now, um, and this this would be <laughs> this is a big money fight and. Um, a lot of people are talking about this could be a Montreal fight. This could be a New York City fight. This could be a Vegas fight. We do know that it is a pay-per-view card between him and Sergey Kovalev if he wins tonight. So the, that has to happen before anything else is said and done. So really, really, really excited to see what Andre Ward is going to bring to the to the table. I mean, I mean, he's been in and out of the ring for for close to two and a half years, um, due to one a shoulder injury, um, promoter issues, and things of that nature. So we're looking at a guy who's refreshed, refined, got got a lot of his skills back. I mean, we're we're starting to see the Andre Ward that won the super that won the uh, super six world middleweight world middleweight tournament. Uh, a few years ago, and where he where he beat Arthur Abraham, where he beat Chad Dawson, and um, along the way, and this is a guy who this is a guy who can conceivably win against a Sergey Kovalev, set up big money fights with Sergey Kovalev, with with Adonis Stevenson. This this is this is a actual this is this is very important for the world of professional boxing, not only at the light heavyweight division, but for boxing as a whole. You know, we're starting to see Gennady Golovkin, you know, fight guys that are top guys in the world. You know, he'll be fighting Kell Brook in a couple in, in on September 10th. So we're start we're gonna we're starting to see a lot of the the big money guys take advantage of what they should be taking advantage of, which is getting the big money fights, getting the fights that people want to see. Not necessarily saying that a lot of people want to see Kell Brook and and Gennady Golovkin, but a lot of people want to see Gennady Golovkin versus a James DeGale or Gennady Golovkin versus 
a young up and coming Chris Eubank Jr., which I would have liked to see. I would have liked to seen that fight. There's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of things that could happen between now November December, you know, and then also, you know, you got Canelo who's who's gonna be fighting for four fifty four one fifty four championship. So there's a lot of like I said, there's a lot of things that are gonna happen. This is a snowball effect from tonight on through uh, the month of September, the month of October, and into the new year. So. It's a big time of year for all the boxing fans out there. Also, a big UFC card tonight. Um, Dennis Bermudez, Honey Jason on that card. We also know that uh, we also know that um, Mighty Mouse is is going to fight on the live card here in the next few in the next few weeks, next few months. Um, where his his fight that he was supposed to have got scrapped because of an injury that he had. Um, now that he's healthy, that fight's gonna happen. It's gonna happen on a live card, so on a Fox on a Fox card. So um, be looking out for that as well. Um, so that that's a lot of the update for for the boxing for the boxing combat sports type deal. Uh, the Olympics are going on right now. I'm actually watching. Um, I'm actually watching a lot of the Olympics right now. I was watching some water polo this morning. Um, now I've now I've turned to the beach volleyball and uh the Brazilians on the on the uh beach volleyball court, Bruno and Allison, they're the number one seeds in, in the whole tournament. Um really excited to see them um face the Americans and face um the Croatian team, which I think will be very, very good as well. Um but you know as as the weeks as the weeks as the weeks go by in in the Olympics, it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting because a lot of the, a lot of sports start today as well. Um, the French basketball team actually plays their first preliminary t- tournament game today. Um, the U.S. U.S. women they're gonna be playing their second game tomorrow. Women's soccer teams gonna be playing their second game tomorrow. I think women's basketball actually get started tomorrow as well. Um, I think the men start on Monday. So I mean, there's a lot of things that are going on, and archery is, is going on as of right now as well. So we're starting to see a lot of things happen between here and there, and just decided to see what's going to happen. Um, so, but we're gonna we're gonna take one quick station break. We'll be right back. We're gonna start talking some football. So y'all take y'all y'all hold tight.
Welcome back to the Press Box and the Tailgate Crew. My name is Jermaine. Thanks for being a part of the show. The main event is in the building. We are talk we this weekend we're talking Pac twelve football. And the Pac twelve is usually one of the most difficult and yet very predictable conference to to analyze and and project. But this year is very, very different because for once both divisions are wide open. And with that being with that being said, you're gonna start seeing teams that have been that come start to make themselves known. Um Consistently wins nine, ten games a year when they were in the Mountain West and the WAC and, you know, so have you. They're starting to establish themselves in in a way. And for me, you know, we I look at I look at the schedule and look at the schedules for everyone this year and there's no easy games. There's no easy out. The um, the old adage you play them and the real you will come out. And this is what the schedule looks like. A lot of teams are gonna be playing some some really, really good teams come like just right off the bat. And a lot of these games are gonna be litmus test right off the bat. Just to see where they come from, where they are, how they're gonna do what they're gonna do. Excuse me, and how they're gonna play. This is this is one of those years that the Pac-12 could overshadow the SEC way as go away this this year, as opposed in the past years, where last year you should have the Pac-12 should have had a Heisman Trophy winner in Christian McCaffrey, um, who's returning, and he's only a junior, so. That tells you what kind of talent this guy has, and he did that as a sophomore over four over five thousand five thousand yards total offense as a sophomore. So you don't see that kind of production from a sophomore. I mean, you might have seen it from Reggie Bush, you know, his his his, his junior year, but nothing like what we saw last year. Nothing like what we saw last year. Can he put on that same kind of performance this year? I'm going to defer to the end of the season to say yes or no. But, you know, you start looking at a lot of these a lot of these schools. In a lot of these schools, they have quarterbacks. They have returning quarterbacks. They have quarterbacks that have questions at quarterback. They have questions uh, abound all over the field. But – we look at newcomers. We look at we look at newcomers that are, that are coming to the coming to the conference, and it's going to make a big splash. And it's guys like Davis Webb's, the Davis Webb's of the world, who's at Cal, um, Dakota Prukup, who come from an FCS school where he almost became a Walter Payton Award winner, to play at Oregon from Montana State. This is a guy 
Like running Adams it doesn't come from the same type of offense that running Adams ran at, at Eastern Washington, but it comes from a hybrid type offense where they did do the no huddle, they did do a little bit of spread, but it had a lot of pro principles in it too. So you're going to see a guy like Dakota Prukup jump right in and play really good because he's a, he's an athletic quarterback who can get, who can use his feet, real gifted with his feet, real gifted, you know, with his arm. He's got a real good arm. Um, Really high, highly sought after in high school. Decided to stay, to stay in the FCS level. To stay at Montana State. Played for Montana State. Played three great, played three great years at Montana State. Um, led them to a share of the Big Sky Championship. Led them to a, a couple of playoff appearances in his in his three years there. So this is a guy who has a good pedigree. But until he put, until you see him on the field. At the FBS level, which I think that he can do, this is a guy who's going to play and play well. He's going to play really, really well. He's a graduate transfer. I said, a lot of experience. I mean, a lot of experience. So let's just jump into the predictions, and we're going to start with the, we're going to start with the Pac-12 North, and and the Pac-12 North, you've got some. <laughs> When I look at the Pac-12 North, I look at the Pac-12 North as can, it could really be a four-horse race. And, and I say that because you look at what Stanford has. They've got to replace. They've got to replace Kevin Hogan. They've got. They've got receivers that they have to replace. They got a couple receivers that they have to replace. They've lost some defensive guys to the draft. I mean, Oregon, with that big splash that they made at defensive coordinator, hiring Brady Hoke as defensive coordinator with Helfrich, I think that this could, this could, like I said, this could be a, this could be a four horse race. Washington State is is back. They're a dark horse. Cal, you know, Jared Goff leaving, Davis Webb coming in. They got another quarterback that that's a blue chipper that's coming in as well, and then it's possible that they could get another quarterback coming in um, that was a, that was in the elite eleven who hasn't committed himself yet. So there, there's some there's some some leeway with a lot of these teams in the north, and a lot of these teams a lot of these teams in the north simply because you don't know what you're gonna get from a lot of these teams. This could be a really, really Jekyll and Hyde type situation. And a lot of people are looking at Washington as being that that team in the North. A lot of people are looking at Stanford to be that team in the North. Oregon, even with the quarterback questions that Oregon has, Oregon's still at the forefront. But with the Jekyll and Hyde defense that they play, it's very hard for me to see them winning the North as much as uh, Stanford, Washington, or Washington State. And I'll tell you why. But we're gonna. I'll tell you why shortly. But um, we're gonna start with with the predictions. You know, for me, Oregon State is one of those teams. I mean, I have them at the bottom of of the North, and for obvious reasons. 
This is a rebuilding. This is this is a rebuilding project. And the sad thing about it is, is that Mike Riley did not leave the cabinet unbare. What happened was, when he left, a couple people left with him. But at the same time, you had talent abound there. You had some good receivers. You had some good defensive players. You didn't have a running back to run that power that 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 one back power set that you like to run with the two tight ends. You didn't. Ha- you don't have the kind of personnel to do that because really the way that Oregon State and the way that Mike Riley built that program, he built that program to be a pro style offense. He built the program to be around a center fullback, one tight end, three receivers, you know, three receiver sets. Uh, really a pro set. This is this is a little bit this is gonna be a little bit different for for Oregon State to do. They've got a good quarterback. He's a young quarterback. He um young quarterback, um Damian uh, I'm sorry, uh, Seth Collins. Who did not do? Who didn't play horrible? Um, I mean, he did have to come in and and uh, well, he did start the first few games and he played it and played it and played the Michigan game. Dashley did well in the Michigan game. Um, did a lot of running. We didn't see him throw the ball much in that game, which which in a sense concerned me a little bit because. We don't know what he has in the tank in terms of throwing the ball. He's got he had receivers to he had receivers that that could catch the ball. Jordan Villeman's back for him. You know, I know Jordan Villeman got hurt a little he was hurt a little bit last year. He banged up a lot. But you've got some receiver you've got some receivers to throw to. You've got I mean you've got some great receivers to throw to. Victor Bolden um is another receiver. Uh, who was banged up, and like I said, Jordan Villa and Victor Bolden, you know, they were they were banged up last year. And then you have the tight ends that you have a tight end in Caleb Smith who played fairly played fairly well, can block, can uh, make all the good blocks that you need. He's a, he's a very good run blocker. He's a, he's a good he's a good pass catcher out of out of um out of the slot and you can actually put him in the slot and he can catch passes there. This is this is a team like I said, it wasn't left unbare. But when you're changing the culture the way that Gary Anderson's doing, moving from moving from a pro style type offense to a power to a one back power offense, the way that he wants to run it. And you know it's not really a pro style offense. It's more of a run based offense. It's going to take time. And Gary Anderson is a good player. Is a good coach. We saw what he did at Wisconsin. The three years he was at Wisconsin, the two years he was at Wisconsin, winning ten games. We saw what he did um, with with Utah State, winning winning eleven games one year, winning ten games the next year. So. This is a guy who knows how to coach. This is a guy who knows how to coach. 
will they do better than, than the two and ten season that they had last year? Let's look at their schedule. Now they open up against Minnesota, and as you heard me say last week with Minnesota, Minnesota's a dark horse in the in the Big Ten West. This is a good Minnesota team. Tracy Clay's got the got the post of the Minnesota team. So this is this is going to be two defensive minded coaches who how can I put it? Two defensive minded coaches who both rely on their defense to make things happen. Now with that you're going to see a lot of different things come from Oregon State in this game as opposed to what you see in any other game. You know, you move on from the Minnesota game where, you know, that's a, that's a toss-up game. You know, they have off week, then they have then they have Idaho State, which should be a gimme game. But then they got then they got games back to back to back that could make or break their season. Um you know, you got one more non-conference game in Boise State, but then you get into the meat of the schedule. And your crossover games this year are Colorado, Utah, and UCLA. Well, your crossover games are Colorado, Utah, UCLA, and Arizona. You have big games coming up there. You have you know, your home me you have a good bit of your schedule where you're home to a lot of a lot of the good teams. But then you have some that you then you have some that you have to go travel to. You know, you're home to you're home to Boise, you're home to Cal, Utah, you're home to Washington State. But you have tests at Colorado who could be better than, than people think. A Cal team who's looking for a quarterback, who's looking to Davis Webb to be the savior again, like Jared Goff was. Arizona State, you know, you you got. I'm sorry, you have Washington State on your schedule. You have UCLA. On, you, you go to UCLA. You go to Stanford. You go to Stanford and UCLA in back to back three or four weeks in October. I'm sorry. You know, you, you you three to four weeks you spend in October, you spend at home. That's the best thing. That's that's the best part of their schedule, because I mean, even though there's some heavy hitters on this uh, on this schedule for in the month of November, where you have the cows, you have the Utahs, you have the Washington, the Washington States. This could be very beneficial to Oregon State. And the reason why I say that is because you're starting to see you're going to see a team that's one year better that could be conceivably a six seven win team this year, barring injury, barring any kind of any kind of upset. But they got to take care of the home games that they have, even the difficult home games like the Cows, like the Utahs, the Washington States. I mean, do they have the kind of scoring offense to deal with a Cal, to deal with a Washington State, to deal with a Washington team who's just who's defensively could be 
one of the best defenses in 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 the Pac-12 North. We'll talk about we'll talk about Washington, Washington State, and Stanford in just a second. But looking at Oregon State schedule, you know, big home dates. But then you have the crossover games in the South. You know, you're home to Arizona. You're home to like I said, you're home to Utah. You you have to go on the road to to Colorado. You take care of your crossover games, and you take care of what you can take care of in, in within your division. This could set up to be Oregon State could be a six seven win team. Do I think that they'll make a bowl game this year? If they get the six wins, they will. But the way that this schedule set up, this could conceivably be a five and seventeen when it's all said and done. But the ball rolls their way. They can win six, seven games. They can pull off upsets. They're going to be a major key in what happens in the Big 12 North in regards to who wins the division, who can be that team in the division. So this is this is a watch, watch, wait what happens type of deal with with Oregon State. Let's move on to Cal. Now, Cal Cal opens up the season on August 26th. They actually are the first team. Cal and Hawaii are the first teams to to play this year. They play they play August 26th in Melbourne. And this will be the fourth team. It'll be the fourth time that a college football game has been played in Australia. First time in Melbourne. This is a really, really good Cal team. They don't lose much offensively except for a quarterback. They have to replace a running back. I mean, this is this is conceivably this is this is a this is a Cal team that could be they could be back to where they were last year, eight and five, which they shouldn't have been eight and five last year. Looking at some of the they had some close losses last year. They had some untimely losses as well. Um, you know, giving away a game at, at Utah where, you know, Jared Goff threw like five or six interceptions. Um, then the next week, you know, on a Thursday night, you get blitzed by you get blitzed by UCLA, and you actually made that game close. Um, USC, you shouldn't have lost that game. Um, then you get blown out by you get blown out of the water by Oregon. Um, you lose a very questionable game where the play calling was just horrible at Stanford last year. So this is a team that could have been a nine ten win team last year. They end up being eight and five. They end up going uh, the armed forces armed forces bowl. Sorry, excuse me, armed forces bowl to face Air Force and winning that game by 21, by 19, I'm sorry. So you you see the Jekyll and Hyde effect at California. This is what I, this is what I was what I was referring to earlier as when you look at when you look at the Pac-12 as a whole, you see a lot of teams that could be Jekyll and Hyde. Um where they could be really good or they can be really really bad. And for this, for me, this is a really, really good schedule. 
you know, you start off in Australia, and then you come back September 10th, and you you face a really you go to San Diego State, and you face a real good San Diego State team that's that's gonna have a new that's gonna have a new quarterback, but at the same time, they've got the same old hat. They've got a running, but they've got the running game to go with with the new quarterback. And you're gonna see some some differences with within San Diego State as they will be they're gonna go to a spread based offense, not not a true spread, but you're gonna see a lot of spread principles in their offense this year. Then they have Texas. They have the home of Texas. Of course, Texas should have won that game last year, missed the extra point. Um one should no Texas should have won that game in overtime. You know they've got that game, and then they open up. Then they open up Pac-12 play with Arizona State. Um, at Arizona State, then they have Utah at home, Oregon State at home. They play Oregon on on a Friday night. They play. Um, they play Oregon on a Friday night. They play USC the following Thursday night. Then they're home to they're home to Washington. They go to Washington State, the big game with Stanford, and then they end with UCLA. Looking at this schedule, looking at the way that everything is spread apart, whereas all the rivals are spread apart, they don't miss any of the big hitters in the in the in the Pac-12 South from the South. But the schedule sets itself up to be a really good schedule. Davis Webb coming in being a quarterback. Um, Chase Forrest, who could who could conceive who could who can play. Um, you have um, Muhammad, who who's a good, really good, really good running back. Um, when given a chance to run, Vic uh, Vic uh, Vic Inware is a really good is a really good running back. I mean, you got a three you got a three running backs that can that can that can run the ball that can that can play. And we look at we don't see the running game as much from Cal as you did. I mean, you you don't you won't have a thousand yard rusher like you did when golf when the first two years that golf was there. When they had Lasco, they had um they had guys like Brandon Bigelow and and players like that who could run the ball. You know, even though Brandon Bigelow didn't give you Brandon Bigelow didn't give you a thousand yards rushing. He did give you a different dimension. He could, he could, he could catch the ball out of the, out of the backfield, and it's the same way with the with the running backs they have now. They can catch the ball coming out of the backfield, but you know they're better suited as running backs. Now we'll, we see we will see the six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred yard rusher, but if they can get a guy. If they can get one of those running backs over a thousand yards to remedy the passing game and their lack of pass blocking in the passing game, this could be this could set up to be a somewhat successful year for for Cal. Do, do I think that they'll win? Do I think they'll win? They'll win in the North? No, absolutely not. But I think that they can make the play. I think that they can make a bowl game. I think 
when it's all said and done, if they can take care of what they can take care of within the North, if they can get a split in the North, say say a two three a three two or two three split, or a five four split where they go five and four in conference or four and five in conference, either way, and go seven and five or six and six, this could this would be a successful year for Cal. Because not 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 necessarily saying that this is a good that would be a great year for Cal, but I'm saying this would be a successful year for Cal because nothing is expected of them. And I think that's that's part of the that's part of the things that that you that you can say about Cal. Nothing's really expected of them, but if they put it together, they can win six, seven games this year. I can see them winning six, seven games this year. I can also see a very successful Cal team come about this year too, where they'll be building. And they've got some they've got some guys coming in next year. They've got some great they've got a good recruiting class coming in next year. They they've recruited the Silicon Valley really well. They've recruited LA really well. And they're starting to get some guys from the San Diego area to come to Cal. And they're making themselves a nationwide name. Now next year with all the Under Armour money that's coming in for them. The bigger question is, will Sonny Dyke survive this year? Or will they go in a different direction? Should they not should they not win a bowl game? Should they not win a bowl game or should they not make the playoffs? I mean, I'm sorry, should they not make a bowl game or not go not win more than five games? That's that's the big question. I don't think that Sonny Dykes is on the hot seat, but the new Under Armour deal could project him to the hot seat. So that's a that's a watch and see kind of deal as well. It it really it really would be a shame if that if that was to really happen. Because um, I think Sonny Dykes has got something good here. You know, coming over from Louisiana Tech, I just think I just think that he's got something good here. And if we can let him, if they let him cultivate that program like they did with Jeff Tedford when Jeff Tedford was there for for the ten years he was there, and the way that he built the program, the way that he he revolutionized some of the some of the the play the play calls. This is a different kind of animal. With Sonny Dykes, he brought in a different kind of offensive set. So we're, we're going to see things from Cal that you don't see from anyone else. So I mean, that's a wait and see kind of deal. Washington State is is next up on the list, and um, I have Washington State finishing four simply I mean, because the way that they played last year. Finishing up the way that they did. This was a really good team. This 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 Washington State team. They 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 are a sleeper. They are a true sleeper in the Pac-12. Mike Leach is starting to starting to instill, starting to impart what he's learned over the years, not only with 
with Texas Tech, the way that he played, you know, the offense that he's playing with, he's starting to evolve himself a little bit, where it was all pass, pass, pass. Last year he had a 1,300-yard rusher. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He, you know, last year, the year before, he had a thousand yard rusher. Last year, he regressed back, and yeah, he even, you know, you had close, to, you had close to, and you had close to to fifteen hundred yards rushing last year. You had a guy who who threw for almost almost four forty six hundred yards, but he's got to find a way. With Mike Leach, you know what you're going to get out of Mike Leach. I mean, he threw the ball 95 times in one game. 95 times. They ran 130-something plays. I really think that Mike Leach, if he gets a guy that's at least 800 yards rushing next year, this, this coming season, could be really, really successful. That's what he had. This is what he had when he was at Texas Tech, the year, the, the 2008 year. If you go back and you look at the running game that, that Texas Tech had that year, the year that Gra- that Harold and, Gra- and Crabtree took over took over the world that year, and they finished ten and four. Or eleven and eleven and three, or something like that. Whatever it was, he had a rusher that was at nine hundred yards. You had Graham Harrell who threw for forty-two, forty-three hundred yards. So you you didn't have a thousand-yard rusher that year. But if you get close to a thousand yards rushing for for Mike Leach, that will take off so much pressure from your quarterbacks, from your receivers, and everywhere and everyone else. This is a guy he runs he runs a complicated route tree, complicated routes. He has the route has the complete route tree inside of his of his offense. This is so far different from other spread teams where. It's usually the speed, the speed, um, the speed routes, the post, the post corner, the the simple outs. You know, there's no, there's no, there's no seven routes, there's no arrow routes. You know, in some spread offenses. But you look at Mike Leach's spread offense, the whole route tree is there. In every play, the whole route tree is there, there, and it's in. I mean, it's in. It's in the same formations, but they're in other types of, you know, he runs them in such intricate ways that if you didn't know what you were looking at and you didn't know what your first read was, you, I mean, it's very, I mean, for for his offense to be so simple, it is very, it is very, very, very detailed. So, you look at Washington State's offense. You look and you look at their defense. Or the defense last year. 
you know, they didn't give up many points. I mean, they didn't give up many points. I mean, they gave up about twenty, about twenty something points a game last year, which is which is good compared to what you to what you've seen, you know, in other conferences where some teams are giving up thirty one, thirty two points a game, and that that's the whole reasoning behind that and it is it's a weird thing it's a weird weird thing weird thing um now i'm actually looking at i'm actually looking at the at the defensive stats for for washington state last year they gave up 30 points a game last year which isn't isn't bad at all as compared to what we saw now, that's a little bit higher than what he's than, than what he's accustomed to. Usually, he's around a twenty two, twenty three, twenty four point point plateau, and scoring over forty. So, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of defenses that are Jekyll and Hyde in the North. There's a lot of offenses that are really really good in the North. So. You're going to see some high-scoring games in the North. You're going to see some high-scoring games with within Washington State, and but you're also going to see flashes of great defense. And this is a good defense. This is a defense that that could really be one of the top defenses in the Pac-12. And I say that because. A lot of the a lot of the games, excuse me, a lot of the games that that they that they lost, they got blew out in. I mean, pretty much. Um, then other games that they lost, I mean, they really just did not play well at all, and that's what makes that's what makes this so. It makes it makes the Pac-12 North. Hard to predict. I mean, it makes it difficult, but makes it very predictable. I mean, because you cause you know what teams could show up to the forefront as opposed to others. You know, we look at Washington State schedule, and they've got some. They've got they've they're really really top back heavy from. From October one on, I mean, they probably have the most difficult stretch in in October of all the Pac twelve schools. Um, October one, they're they're home to Oregon, they go to Stanford, they go to UCLA, they're at Arizona State, they go to Oregon State, and November fifth, they're home to Arizona. I mean. That six weeks, that six weeks right there, will define this Washington State team. Period. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to reiterate that Washington State is a sleeper. They are a dark horse in the Pac-12 simply because of what they can do offensively 
and what they show up with defensively. If they show up and do the things they're supposed to do defensively, this could be a really, really good Washington State team. They get upset the way that they the way that they they've done in the last couple of years. They get some upsets. They they get that ball rolling the way that they normally get it rolling around around midway part of the season, which is the October October November part of the year, like they did last year. You're gonna see a team that can conceivably win eight, nine games. Ten games is not out of the realm of possibilities here. And Mike Leach Year four and year five for him when he was at when he was at um Texas Tech, this is when this is when this is the time where he struck while the iron's hot. You think about you think about it. Two thousand eight was Mike Leach's fifth year at Texas Tech. Graham Harrell, Michael Crabtree, and another and another list of great performers on that team went eleven and three like that year, or eleven and two, eleven and ten and three, eleven and three, something like that. This Washington State team is looking like that team. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go through and 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 give you some stats here. You had you have five of your returning leading rushers that gave you almost 1,500 yards rushing. Okay. You have a guy in Luke Falk, who's a junior, who Threw for almost 4,600 yards, 38 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Gabe Marks is back. River Craycraft is back. Robert Lewis is back. Gerard Wicks, who's a running back, is back. All these guys that you have coming back for for Washington State. From a nine and fourteen that won the Sun Bowl against Miami, that tells you a lot about what where Washington State's coming from and where Washington State's going. This is a sleeper team that I think, if they get nine wins, they'll go to a New Year's Day Bowl. Not only do I think they'll go to a New Year's Day Bowl. I really, really think that they can get wins and other teams get losses. This could be a this could be a team that will contend and will win the Pac twelve North. Not saying that they will win the Pac twelve North, but if they get things going where they get a little bit of lady luck on their side. And they also got to help themselves. Like let's not get this let's not get this twisted. They've got to help themselves. 
They've got to win the games that they can win. They've got, they've got they've got to win the games that that are the most important. So is is ten wins out of the is out of the the realm of possibility? No, but yes. Is eight nine wins in 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 the realm of possibility? Yes. With the way, like I said, with the way that the Pac-12 North is set up, this and the way that the defenses play, the defenses play in the Pac-12 North with the Jekyll and Hyde type defenses, yes, this is very, very much a team that could win 10 games, that can win 8 games, but I can also see them going 6-6. Six and six. I can see them going 7-5, and five, but Realistically, you see, you see a Mike Leach team winning nine games. I see them winning nine games. I see them winning eight games. You know, this is not like I said. This is not a. This is this is a loaded team, offensively, and they're really good defensively as well. I mean, they've got a lot of people coming back on the defense side of the ball. So let let's not let's not look past Washington State and what they have. A lot of the, a lot of the people are picking them to be third, or fourth in the, in in the north. I'm picking them to be fourth in the north, but they are a true sleeper. They are a true sleeper. They are a true dark horse. So nobody, none of these schools can take this Washington State team for granted. Moving forward, now. When we talk about Oregon, we talk about we talk about explosive offenses. We talk about we talk about really good offenses. We talk about traditionally under Nick Aliotti, a really great defense. Really great defense. Last year and the year before they looked horrible. I mean, they looked so bad, in fact, when you look back at what at what they did last year. It was it was just I don't even I don't even know how to even put it. I I really don't. I mean you go from giving up 23 points a game last year. You go from 23 points a game in 2014, you know, giving up to almost 40. You set a school record, and this is a school record that it, that you shouldn't be proud of. 37, 37, almost 38 points a game is what you gave up last year. You gave up a 31-point lead to TCU, and they beat you in three overtimes. You look at an Oregon team that lost its way. Is Mark Helfrich on the hot seat? You dang right he is. Even at 33-8, and 
he's on the hot seat. And I'm going to tell you why he's on the hot seat. For one, when you give up the number of points that you gave up, when you – I mean, and you still had a great year. You go nine and four. But you give up the points that you gave up. You lose the games that you shouldn't have lost, especially the spanking that Utah gave you. 62 points at Austin. You get beat by 40 points at Austin. That tells you something right there. Mark Helfrich has lost. I don't. I don't want to say he's lost. The, he's lost the locker room. I, I. I don't know about that. But what I'm saying is, Vernon Adams didn't play in that game. But he wouldn't have helped that scoreline. Travis Wilson and those guys last year, they put up some points. They ran the ball. They just kicked Oregon's butt all over the field. They controlled the line of scrimmage. This is the problem that, that Oregon's had defensively for the last two years. They haven't controlled the line of scrimmage. They got beat off the ball in that second half against TCU in that Alamo Bowl game simply because there was no effort. When you have no effort, something's got to give. And this is the bad part about about Oregon. When they quit, everybody else quit, except for Vernon Adams. Vernon Adams almost almost single-handedly won that game for you. And you so much as didn't say thank you to him. This is this is one of the things that that I can truly say that I was appalled by. But Mark Helfrich, he he he's on the hot seat. Even though you won Rose Bowls, you won Fiesta Bowls, you won Alamo Bowls, you've done this, you've done that. You still don't have the pulse of your team as of yet. I mean, you're bringing in a guy, Jeff Locke is there, who should, who, who sat behind Vernon Adams. He sat behind Marcus Mariota. You know, Taylor Ali, another guy who's who's a young guy. Now you bring in Dakota Pruker. You know, like I said, first team FCS All American last year, um, semifinalist for the Walter Payton Award, which is which is the equivalent of the Heisman at the FCS level. You you've got so much talent here. Now with the addition of Brady Hoke, nine and four is just a drop off to me. I mean. That I mean, your team plateaued at thirteen and two when you lost in the, when you lost in the national championship game in fourteen. Fifteen, if Vernon Adams was healthy, this is a this is easily eleven win team. Easily. Now that you have Dakota Prukup, 
again, like I said, he's more of a pro style quarterback, come from a hybrid style type offense with spread principles. Got a good legs, got got a good legs, got a great arm. He's the perfect fit for this offense. Even though he doesn't have the spread philosophy. He does have spread principles. So he knows what to look for. He's run the QB options. He's run he's run the option plays at at, at Montana State. So he knows a bit of the offense some somewhat. So we look at Oregon's schedule and right off the bat, I mean they have ACC, they have a home game against Virginia. They go to Nebraska, which is probably which, which for me September 17 for me is probably one of the biggest game biggest days of the year for the Pac-12. Because of the non-conference matchups that you have in the Pac-12. One of those matchups being Oregon at Nebraska. This is what we're talking about, parity. The Nebraska game is a litmus test of immense proportions. Nebraska's going to come out. Nebraska's going to be a whole lot better than what they were last year. They've, they've carried the momentum of having of winning a bowl game, going 6-7. and seven. Even though you're 6-7 and seven and you won a bowl game, you were 5-7 and seven team, they won a bowl game. You carry that you carry that momentum in. This is a litmus test of, of immense proportions. We're gonna see what kind of what kind of Oregon team you have. We're gonna see what kind of offense you have. We're gonna see what kind of defense you have in this game. We're gonna see if you can handle the noise as opposed to people who go to Austin and handle that noise. We're gonna see if you can handle noise. We're going to see if Dakota Pruka is a ready for prime time player. That's what we're going to see um, in Lincoln on September 17th. I mean, these are these are really big games. Like, let's just, let's just be for real about this. You know, really big games, showcase games per se. And this is not even a showcase week for for the Pac-12. We'll get to that in just a second. You know, then you then you look at you look at the rest of the rest of the schedule after Nebraska, Colorado, and then they get a bit of a break in October, but it's still it's still a gauntlet of games in October. Not as difficult as what as what Stanford or Washington, what Oregon and Oregon Oregon State and Cal, um, and Washington State are going to go through, but. Nonetheless, it's very, very difficult. It's a very difficult road to hoe. You know, you're at you're at Washington State. You're home to Washington, which for me, that's round like for me October one, October eight. That's round one and round two of the round robin tournament in in that top four. Um, for me, um. Then you go to Cal. Then you're home to Arizona State. You go to USC, November five, the ultimate in, in, in test, because you already know that USC is is they're out to look for 
I mean, I won't even say I won't say looking for blood, but they're out looking for something for that something special. For Mike Helton. This 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 USC team, this Oregon team, they're on a collision course. They're on a collision course. Then November twelfth, you go to Stanford. November nineteenth, you're at home to you're at you're at Utah, and then you go and then you go on the road at at Oregon State in the Civil War. Oregon's got a chance to win 10, 11 games. They can conceivably win 10, 11 games. But until they remedy that defense, I'm I'm looking at a nine. I'm again. I'm looking at a nine, ten win, ten win team. I'm looking at a nine, ten win team. Now you look at you look at Stanford. You look at the schedule they got. You know, they're replacing Kevin Hogan. You got a really you got a, you got a quarterback that's coming in. Um, KJ Costello. Who I really hope that they can they can put the red shirt on. Really hoping that. I mean, he didn't come in for spring as people as people thought he would. He decided to to go ahead and finish out his high school days. Um, you got Keller Chris there, who is highly talented coming out of high school as well. You've got some. You've got you've got a little bit of something to work with, with with those guys, and then you like I said, you have the Christian McCaffrey's of the world, um, who, who like we said, you know, went over two thousand yards passing. Well, I'm sorry, over two thousand yards rushing last year, almost seven hundred yards receiving, a thousand yards kick returns, and almost almost one hundred thirty yards on. On point returns. This is a guy who is a do-it-all kind of guy, and he's probably gonna. I mean, you're probably gonna see him do a lot of different things. You're probably gonna see him on the two-back set with um with Bryce with Bryce Love, who again was a young back last year. He's back this year. Um, sophomore, highly touted. No, not highly touted, but was touted enough. Very smart kid from from the Northern California area. This this uh, for me, looking at Stanford, looking at Stanford is like looking at it's like looking at Washington, and I'm gonna compare the two. Washington Washington has a quarterback. They've got they've got a real good quarterback. Who plays a true freshman? You got some guys that are coming back in last year. You got some guys coming back in last year for for the Washington team. Not only on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive side of the ball as well. Eight returning starters for for Stanford on the defensive side of the ball. Seven coming back on the offensive side of the ball. But you're replacing the quarterback. Jake Browning is a really good quarterback. You know, you look at what Jake Browning did last year. Almost three thousand yards. You look at what Kevin Hogan did last year. 
in his senior year, almost 3,000 yards, 20-something touchdowns. You look at what what Jake Browning did, 16 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. This is as a true freshman. As a true freshman. So, the comparisons are there. But, even though Stanford's got the best player in the Pac-12 on their team, in Christian McCaffrey. He's a junior this year. Does he do the same thing this year that he did last year? I, I, I'm not sure that he will do the same thing last year, this year as he did last year. Will there be a drop-off? I don't think there'll be a drop off in production. I think I don't think it'll be a drop off in performance, but I think it'll be a drop off in production simply because, and, 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 I, and I'm, I'm saying this simply because you're gonna have a different quarterback in there that won't be like that won't be like what Kevin Hogan was. Okay, and I don't mean that in any kind of slight or any kind of way, but what I'm saying is you you miss that experience that Kevin Hogan brings you. You miss that experience that you just miss you miss the game management, you miss the game management skills, you miss the the fact that that Kevin Hogan could take over a game. So that's what you're missing from Stanford, as opposed to what you're missing from, as opposed to what you're missing from from Washington. All you're missing from Washington is just a little bit of, I mean, I, I mean, from Washington, all you're missing is a little bit of experience from the from the quarterback position. I mean, you got a 1,300-yard rusher. From last year's team, I mean, you've got four receivers coming back. You know, you 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 you, you lost Jadon Pickens, you lost Joshua Perkins, but Adante Pettis, who's got good pedigree, uh, cousin Austin played at Boise State, played under Chris Peterson at Boise State, so you know he already knows the route tree, knows Chris Peterson tree. This. This is this is what I this is why I, I'm so difficult I'm so torn on on the Pac-12 North because of what you're going to see in the Pac-12 North. You know, we compare schedules right now. September third, Washington has Rutgers at home. Stanford has K-State. September seventeenth. Washington has Portland State, which is a really good Portland State team out of the big sky. Stanford is in conference against USC. You go on to October 1st. Stanford and Washington play each other. This, again, Stanford and Washington play each other on October 1st. Oregon and Washington play Oregon and Washington State play each other on on um on October 1st. And then the next week, the next week, again, 
Oregon plays Washington. <laughs> Oregon plays Washington. Sanford plays Washington State. You know, again, you're looking at a three-horse race, and you're going to see the round-robin effect come into this. You know? I mean, and then you go forward, and you look at... You look at October uh, October twenty ninth. I mean, this, this this has got drama written all over it. It does, and I'm so torn by it. I'm so torn by this because there's so much that's going to happen in the north, and. I often said that, you know, Washington, Washington is almost there. Chris Peterson's almost there. The running joke with Chris Peterson was, will he get 100 wins or 10 losses first? He ends up with 99 wins before his 10th loss. <laughs> so, this tells you I'm sorry, before his twentieth loss he got he got a hundred wins. So this tells you about what pedigree Chris Peterson is coming from. He's got a hundred and he's got a hundred wins and he's eleven he's eleven seasons in as a head coach. Eleven seasons as a head coach. He has hundred and seven wins. That's nine points. That's nine that's almost nine and a half wins a season. This Washington team is ready. He's got the recruits that he he's got his he's got his guys in there for the first time. This is third year here. This is his recruiting class. This is his recruiting class that's, that's playing this year, as opposed to Sark's class. This is his first class that's playing. This is second year that. A quarterback that he's recruited is playing. This Washington team, even though I, I, I'm, I'm torn by I'm torn by the North, and I actually have co-winners in the North. I actually think that the winner of Stanford Washington will win the North, and the winner of Stanford Washington winning the North against the South, and we're going to jump right into the South right now. You know, we look at Colorado, we look at Arizona. Colorado is very close to being to being on the cusp of being back on back on the, on the proverbial map. They've got a lot of, they've got a lot of things to work on still. But this is a team that can find I think I think Colorado's gonna be a team that's gonna finally gonna finally get get to the to the six win plateau. And and I say that because They've been so close before, and I mean four and nine last year, and that four and nine record is not indicative of what of what they looked like last year. Four and nine last year could have easily been six and six, 
could have easily been five and seven. Could have easily been been two been two and ten. Like th- there's no lie about this. This could have easily been a, t- a three and ten season for for Colorado last year. This could have easily been a six and six season, a six and seven and six regular season for them. Th- this is a Colorado team that they're so close as a program to being to being relevant again. And if they make a bowl game, and, I, and I'm serious, they make a bowl game for the first time in ten years. This that this might jumpstart Colorado. If they make a bowl game this year, this might jumpstart Colorado. They're not keep, the, the the bad part about Colorado is they're not keeping the in-state recruits. They're, they're getting out recruited by Colorado State. They're getting out recruited by by Northern Colorado. They're getting out recruited by Wyoming, who's pulling who's pulling guys over. Utah who's pulling guys over. Michigan's coming to the state. They've got they've got one of the best quarterbacks that the state's probably seen in a long time. Probably seen since um since there was a quarterback that played at Colorado State and his name um uh his name does not come to mind right now. But he was one of the first ten thousand yard passers in in the history of high school football. So and he was from the state of Colorado and he ended up going to Colorado State and had a pretty good career at Colorado State. Um so we're 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 looking at something special here. Cifo LaFowl, who is a senior this year. He will break Cody Hawkins um career passing record at uh, at Colorado. I mean we 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 look at this. I mean I'm looking at this and I'm like Cody Hawkins is, is a career passing leader at, at Colorado. Cody Hawkins the son of the son of, of a great coach, Dan Hawkins. We see the success that that could have been had with Dan Hawkins. He never could get the pulse of the team. That was that was the bad part about. About Dan Hawkins, he can never get his philosophies across. Whereas when he was at Boise State, he could. Then you bring in a guy, and honestly, you bring in a guy like John Embry, who just walked. He walked into basically just walked into. Just pure turmoil because of all the allegations that were had, you know, in the previous from the previous regime, you know, that goes way back to where, um, to when, um, oh, I can't think of his name right now. Um, they go all the way back to to the two thousand year, you know, where there's allegations of strippers and all this stuff. I mean, 
I'm I'm really wondering about a lot of the things that have been said. You know, that that hurts recruiting. That hurts recruiting a lot. Can Colorado win six games? It is very conceivable. They don't have many people coming. They they have a lot of people coming back. They have seven people on each side of the ball coming back. But can they put it together? Can they can they improve on the four and nine season? I mean, I think they can. I think they will. Mike McIntyre, he he's got the pulse of this team. You lose, you don't lose, you lose games. You know, some games, touchdowns, three points. I mean, you I mean you go into Oregon, you play Oregon tough the entire game. Oregon scores twenty four and answered. And wins the game 41-24. You know, you go into Arizona State. You play them close the entire game. And then they just start just gashing you. You know, late in the first half. Start gashing you. UCLA, the game you could have won. Arizona, the game you could have won. Um, USC, a game that... You had the ball in the final in the final seconds. Utah, a game you could have you could have easily won. You know you dropped balls against Washington State, dropped three touchdowns, one on a deep pass. You just dropped the dang ball. If those losses, those close losses, turn into wins. You got a seven and five team right there, a eight and five team actually, because they had thirteen games on their schedule last year. This is a good. This is a good Colorado team. It's just not showing up on the field. A great, a great Pac twelve school, a great Colorado school, great Colorado team. They can get back to where they were in the nineties, where they were recruiting nationwide. I mean. Colorado, Nebraska, those are the two schools you want to go to. You want to play in, in, at those schools. You want to do things. You want to do things at those schools. Now you can't even get people to go there, and that's a shame. That's a real shame because this, Colorado's. I mean, the Colorados, Nebraskas of the world. These are the blue bloods. These are the schools that that got the recruits. They got the football recruits, the big time football recruits. Now you don't see that. You see them going elsewhere. You see them going to the Florida States. You see them going to the Penn States. You see them going to the Michigans, Ohio States, Alabamas, Texas A&M's, the Texas of the world, um, the UCLA's of the world, the USC's of the world. You know, you're starting to see them go to Oregon. You know, it's just the influx of talent. Is not there at Colorado anymore. The in-state talent that usually stays in-state, they're going elsewhere now. Mostly Colorado State, you know, things of that nature. So th- that's this is what we're talking about here. <coughs> Moving on, you know, 
I I was I'm very intrigued by what what's gonna happen at what's gonna happen at, at Arizona. Um yeah, this Arizona team could have been a ten win team last year as well. You know, you lost you lost a lot of close games. And not only did you lose close games, but you lost them in in a, in a fashion that you shouldn't have lost them in. And that new Solomon, you know, we're gonna see what kind of quarterback he is. Uh, we do know that he's had the concussion problems. He's had he's had the things that has happened to him. Um, we're gonna see what kind of kind of running game they're gonna have this year. Um, we're gonna see what kind of what kind of what we're going to see is what kind of Arizona team are we going to see? Are we going to see the fast-paced Arizona team that we've seen um, during the first couple of years that, that Rich Rod's been there? Or are we going to see something different from Rich Rod? Will he slow down the, will he slow down the offense a little bit? Will he, will he do a lot of the things that he needs to do offensively to make things happen? It's a good question. Defensively, no more Scooby Wright, um, no more William Parks, Sir Thomas Jackson, Reggie Gilbert, um, Jeffrey Worthy. I mean, those guys are all gone. You got you got some good JC transfer. You got a good junior college transfer. Juco transfers are coming in. You have some really, really good recruits coming in, and you kept them in state. You kept a lot of in-state recruits in state. You you recruit California great. You even got got some guys from the state of Texas. You got some guys from the state of Colorado. I mean, you went nationwide in your recruiting, and for the first time, you went nationwide. Will that translate to success on the field? Look at Arizona's schedule, and you see, you see them. I mean, the South for me, the the Pac-12 South is 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 just like the Pac. It's just like the SEC West. Anybody can beat anybody on any given day, and I think. What's going to happen in the Pac-12 South is that they're going to cannibalize themselves um, because you've got so many. The South is so top-heavy. Any one of those, any one of those schools can win the South. So I mean, that's why the South, the South is so much more. So much more predictable than the North. You know, I I think that I think Arizona can can win seven eight games again this year. I mean, the tough stretch for for Arizona is the stretch from September first to to from September twenty fourth to uh, October twenty second, where they play four straight weeks and they play Washington. Which is which is a favorite in the north. They play USC, which is which is a favorite in the south. Utah, which is a favorite in the south. 
and USC, which is a favorite in the South. You know, you, and then you have an off week, and then you have Stanford. Your month of October, your month of October will make you or break you if you're if you're Arizona. The month of October for Arizona State will break you because what they have in October, you know, you have Arizona State, you have at USC, home to UCLA, at Colorado, at Washington State at home, at Oregon. You look at Arizona's schedule, you look at Arizona State's schedule. If they don't get a split in this schedule, they won't. They won't. They won't be bowl eligible. You look at Arizona State schedule. You look at you look at Arizona. You look at Arizona State schedule. You look at Arizona schedule. The month of October is the most most important month for both of those squads. I have them finishing fourth, fifth, and fourth. Arizona finishing fifth. Arizona State finishing fourth. But Arizona State again. They are a sleeper, just like just like a cow, just like Washington State, just like Washington. Washington, Washington is a sleeper, but they're also a contender, and that's what makes, like I said, this is what makes the, the Pac-12 so difficult to predict, yet predictable to to see what's going to happen. You know, we go to number, we go, uh, I go to. To third, and I go and I look at Utah, and again, we look at Utah's schedule. The Holy War on September 10th, big game against USC on the 24th, big game against Cal on the first, Arizona, Oregon State, UCLA, Washington, Utah, like Arizona State, has got the most difficult. The most difficult October of any of the Pac-12 schools. Any of them. Five games in October that could make or break your season. You have playoff aspirations. The question is, with those playoff aspirations, do they go down the drain with one loss? I mean... And it's a gauntlet of, of of affairs. You think about it. It's a gauntlet of affairs. I mean, September 24th to October 29th, for me, is just is brutal for Utah. It's brutal. It is a brutal schedule. But I think if they can get at least four wins out of those six games, They can even squeeze in a fifth win. They'll win the division. But you've got so many good quarterbacks in this division. Especially you know, I mean, you have a great quarterback of your own. I mean, you're replacing you have to replace Travis Wilson. Um you know, Arizona State's gotta replace Mike Berkovici. I mean Utah's got to replace Kendall Thompson and 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 Travis Wilson, you know. So you're gonna bring in a guy like a Troy Williams, who um, who was at Washington, JUCO last year, can play. Brandon Cox, another quarterback, can ball out. Tyler Huntley, 
He was there for spring. He can he can play. This is this is very, very difficult for Utah. It's gonna be a difficult time for Utah. Can Utah find a quarterback? Find a running back because they lost Devontae Booker as well. And they lost their top three receivers. Devontae Booker being among those top receivers. Who's gonna step up to be that guy again? Will Utah win 10 games like they did last year? It's going to be a difficult road to – it's going to be a difficult road to bear, but I, I really think that that Utah could win 10 games. Defensively, they didn't lose much. They've got a lot of, they've got a lot of people coming back defensively. They've got a lot of people coming back offensively except for your top two quarterbacks, your top two running backs. The top two running backs was your quarterback and your running back, which was <laughs> Devontae Booker and Travis Wilson. Those were your two leading rushers. So we're gonna see if Joe Joe Williams is gonna step up and be that guy. We're gonna see if Troy Williams can step in as a JUCO transfer, see what he can do. This is this those are the questions that Utah has to ask. And I have them three simply because of the way that they play defense. Kyle Winningham has the post of has the post of <coughs> has the post of Utah. Now we look at look at two and one. And USC, UCLA, you have what you have with UCLA and USC is you 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 really have the best two teams in the South, bar none. Um, you look and see what they have coming in. They have a lot of guys coming in. A lot of guys are going to play early. A lot of young guys are going to play early for USC. They've got to find a quarterback that's going to replace Cody Kessler and what he brought to the table. Over 10,000 yards passing, over over 100 touchdowns, you know, things of that nature. Now, you have three running backs. You have two running backs that are really, really good. Ronald Jones, Justin Davis, you know, those are two guys that can, that can do the thing for you. Then the best player on your team is actually your cornerback, Adore Jackson. Who, who, if I'm not mistaken, is an Olympian. So, you know, I think he's I think he's doing a triple jump at the Olympics. So, that further lets you know what kind of athletic guys you have at USC. Max Brown's and I think Max Brown will win the the quarterback competition at USC. I think he's got he's got. He's got a little bit. He's got a little bit of competition on his hands, though. Sam Darnold, who was a really good, really good quarterback coming out of high school, um, could possibly step in and be that guy as well. But you got so many different guys. Adore Jackson could. I said Adore Jackson can can do everything for you. Um, he can give you. He can give you help running the ball. I mean, he's he's kind of like a Jabril Peppers type player, if you look at Adore Jackson. Um, 
do I think that USC can win more than eight games than what they did last year? Yes, of course. I think they will win more than eight games. I mean, you go eight and six, season three in the conference. I mean, you lose games that you're not even supposed to lose. I mean, it, it's it's, it's kind of crazy. But, you know, you got Clay Helton, who, if you didn't know, he was a quarterback at Auburn who transferred to Houston, graduated from Houston, um, was the office coordinator at – at um at USC at the time that Sark um met his demise. So um you know I'm just I'm just really looking at the schedule. USC opens up with Alabama and then Utah State is a home game and then they right in the conference play. I mean and USC conference play for them is paramount. Um, I mean, you got some big games in, in regards when we talk about USC. September seventeenth is a showcase week for the Pac-12. If you if we if we really want to just call it that, a showcase week, because USC plays Stanford, UCLA plays BYU, Colorado plays Michigan. They play at Michigan, and we all know what happened the last time Colorado played at Michigan. Arizona's at Hawaii. Arizona plays Hawaii. I mean, Oregon. I mean, Oregon, Nebraska's that that night. Cal, Texas is that night. I mean, September seventeenth is a, is a showcase week. But when it comes down to the divisional game, when it comes down to the division. If we actually just break down the divisions, the big week for the for the Pac-12, or if you want to call them big weeks for the Pac-12, is November 12th and November 19th, where Cal plays Oregon. I mean, Cal plays Washington State. Oregon plays Stanford. Oregon State plays UCLA. Stanford, you know, Oregon, Washington, USC. Which, <laughs> I mean. It's so difficult. Washington could conceivably win the Pac-12 North. USC, if they get they get quality wins and get important wins, can win the South. I mean, this is this is something that just is it, very special. The Pac-12 could be just as good as the SEC this year. Am I saying they're going to be as good as the SEC? We'll find out in a couple of weeks. I'll let you know. But um, the USC ends with ends with Notre Dame, and the, the conceivably, yes, I think USC will win ten games, but they still have to play they have to play UCLA, and UCLA can UCLA win win ten eleven games? Josh Rosen is a quarterback that stepped in and just become just just become a, a superstar at 18 years old. I mean, we look at what what you said, they lost. Paul Perkins, I mean, a 1,300-yard rusher. But you've got Soso Jamal, Jamalbo 
from the state of Texas, um, Nate Starks, you know, who I've had playing playing time. Um, I mean, those are the two guys that's really, really ones to watch for. So, so Jamobo, as as most people know, I mean, he got into some trouble last year, but he turned that trouble around, made himself better player when he came on out to UCLA, and you know, accounted himself very well as a true freshman. I mean, you had two true freshmen in the backfield at one point for for UCLA. Josh Rosen, I mean, the kid's only going to get better. I mean, you look at what he did last year, almost 4,000 yards passing, thirty-seven, almost 3,700 yards passing, 20-something touchdowns, 23 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He cleans up the interceptions. He cleans up the interceptions as, as he should this year and just matures. You know, he's a very, very smart quarterback. Almost became the lead 11 MVP last year. We lost out to Shea Patterson. And we all know what Shea Patterson can do. Um, if you've watched him, um, if you've watched him play. Um, so I mean, like, this is a really, really good UCLA team. You know, I, I'm predicting that UCLA wins the North, wins the South. Um, I just think that when you look at when you look at the grand scheme of, of the South and you look at everything that's going on in the South, even though <clears throat> even though UCLA's lost a guy like Miles Jack, they've still got a great defense. They still got got a good offense. They can put things if they can put things together, you string a lot you string wins together. Get a little bit of luck going. This is a ten. This is a ten-win team easily. This is a, a, a nine-win team right off the right off the bat. So I'm looking at I'm looking at the winner of Stanford, Washington from the north, UCLA from the south. A lot of people are picking Washington to win 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 the whole thing. In the Pac-12, I can see that happening, but if I had to be a betting man, just to see Jake Browning and and Josh Rosen on the field at the same time, I, I'm gonna. I, this is gonna be a lot of fun. It'll be a lot of fun to see that, and. You know, I, do I think that do I think that the Pac-12 gets a playoff team in? I say yes, say yes. But the coach of the year is Chris Peterson, bar none. You know, one of the best atmospheres is the Austin Stadium, Husky Stadium. You know, things of that nature. But next week, <clears throat> next week we'll talk ACC, the ACC. And hopefully I can, hopefully, if everything goes right, hopefully we'll have some fun with that. But we're going to get up out of here this weekend, and I hope everybody is is very careful. Uh, Tell somebody that you love them, and uh, let's go tailgating.